Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, we've had over 18 weeks now of the horror which has been imposed on Gaza by the Israeli state with the active support of Western states who have armed and backed Israel. Its leaders in the process have made a series of statements which... I think if they were issued by any other state, we wouldn't have any problem having a consensus on calling them genocidal in nature. Israel, of course, now has been placed on trial by the highest court on earth, the International Court of Justice, um, for alleged genocide because of the case presented by South Africa. Why am I stating these facts? I think it's important to state these facts because there has been quite the gulf between the reality of what has happened to Gaza, the blood, the death, the mayhem, the mass destruction, mass displacement, and the huge numbers of quite obvious war crimes, which are often posted by Israeli soldiers uh, for the amusement of Israeli domestic opinion on TikTok, um, and the way the media has framed what has happened. And someone for me throughout this has been like coming up for air, just in terms of shining a light on the double standards of the media, the fail failure to frame what's actually happening um, and to hold perpetrators to account. Uh, no one's done a better job uh, than Asal Rad, who is a Middle East expert um, and also an author, for example, of State of Resistance, Politics, Culture and Identity in Modern Iran. Um, and the reason uh, Asal's tweets keep going viral uh, is they're excellent, but she's put in a huge amount of work, which must take a, a quite a lot of emotional labour, of looking at often headlines um, and how they're often completely misleading, um, how they don't assign responsibility for horrors which are happening, and how they contrast, for example, with coverage of other atrocities, for example, Russia's invasion of, U of Ukraine. So with that extremely long and rambling introduction, um, hello, Asal, it's great to see you. How you doing? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I just want to start with, I suppose, just one point which has just been bugging me from since this began, I suppose. And, and I, I've said this a lot. I've worked in the British media for a very long time, and I'm not naive about the British media, either here or elsewhere. Um, I've studied, you know, horrors in the past and how they were often represented in media outlets. There is something in my mind which is still uniquely quite shocking about this. It might not be surprising, but shocking, which is the scale of the horror, the sheer level of mass death, including quite objectively just huge numbers of people who are not combatants, um, for example, over 13,000 children, um, the sheer level of destruction, the rhetoric from the leaders of the state perpetrating this horror, um, and the way this is framed particularly how the lives of those who are victims, the Palestinian people in this case, are devalued. And I'm just wondering, just in a historical context, what do you think? I mean, is this actually quite unprecedented just in terms of the scale of the crime and how the media has portrayed it? Absolutely. I think it's unprecedented because, I mean, I haven't, I'm someone who's studied the region um, extensively, and I've 
followed it, right? Like I have followed, I'm uh, of a generation that came of age during 9-11, the war on terror, you know, the invasion of Iraq. And I remember the anti-war sentiments of that time and, and seeing those atrocities play out, seeing those war crimes play out. And I think what is unique about the situation we're looking at right now is the level of destruction, the, you know, you mentioned uh, Israeli soldiers that will share war crimes on TikTok. I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen that level of impunity. And that's all it is, right? The the knowledge that nothing will happen to them. They will face no consequences that they can actually boast rather than try to cover up war crimes. They post it themselves. And these images will go viral and these videos will go viral and everyone will see them, but they will still face no consequences within the state of Israel. They will face no consequences in terms of their support from their number one backer, which is the United States government. And they will face no consequences on the international stage because of the support of the US, which basically prevents any kind of consequences for our own war crimes, as well as those committed by our allies like Israel. So when you look at the, the history you know, a lot of people talk about October 7th. Yeah, if you're new to this, if, you, if you've never heard of Israel or Palestine, then maybe something happened. Maybe this started for you on October 7th. Um, but the reality of it is, is the horrors that Palestinians have faced have existed for decades. The occupation itself is more than five decades old. And that's the, the context that we have to understand if we are actually to resolve a conflict where Palestinians and Israelis can live with security. And I think that's a key point, right? We want everyone to live with security, but that can only happen in the case where the state that actually has power ensures security for the people who don't have power. And that asymmetry of power is completely lost in the coverage, right? The way that it's covered is as if there's two equal sides that are in some kind of conflict. And that is nothing could be further from the truth. The simplest way of understanding that is from the very beginning, you hear Israeli officials saying things like, we're going to cut off food, water, and electricity. Can Palestinians do that to Israelis? Of course they can't. They don't have the power to do so. But why can Israel just shut off levers at the moment that it chooses to? Because it has the power to do so. And without understanding that asymmetry, we'll never really have a situation where we can resolve that conflict. And that has been the biggest problem in the media presentation. Um, a combination of, of just not presenting the facts the way that they are, and also the absolute double standards in which facts, when they are presented, are finally uh, talked about, right? So even when you have news media covering something like uh, a Palestinian child that's killed, the language that is used to describe a Palestinian child, sometimes not even the word child, right? Sometimes the word children is not even associated with children. So there's the double standard in language, and then there's the double standard, and then there's the issue of how misleading the entire conflict is framed. I mean, that point you make just in terms of the clock beginning on 7th of October and, and how that essentially media coverage and the way politicians have clearly talked about this particular horror, that, that's that's obviously always been very striking to find it, that approach. I mean, because obviously the obvious point is to go back decades in terms of, you know, not even... 1948, but even, you know, if you go back to 1948, you have, you know, mass ethnic cleansing, the Nakba, you have then more mass displacement in 1967, apartheid, ethnic cleansing, mass slaughter. We could go on, occupation, illegal settlements. But even if, for example, you know, this whole rhetoric of the ceasefire ended on the 7th of October, even if you just looked at last year in the West Bank, 240 Palestinians were killed by Israeli security forces and settlers. Dozens of them were children. 
So in my view, even discussing the idea of a ceasefire has a racist, a very striking racist component to it. Because if 240 Israelis had been killed, dozens of them Israeli children by Palestinian militants last year before October 7th, nobody would have called that a ceasefire, would they? That just wouldn't be a thing anyone would even dream of calling it. Yeah, absolutely. Because look, the only way you can, and I'm using the phrase get away with, um, this level of atrocity, uh, 13,000 children, like that should just be something that we all sort of agree on. Like that should not be a debatable conversation. Is it wrong to have killed 13,000 children in four months? Yes, no one will argue at this point. So how then do we enact policies that allow that to happen? How is the US government, how is the Biden administration bypassing Congress twice in this period of time to send weapons to Israel in order to kill those children, how is any of this justified? It happens through dehumanization. The only way to justify that in anyone's mind, and I will say that that's a minority, by the way. So one of the things I think we should be very clear about is this conversation is taking place um, in the West and it is taking place within the framing of a Western discourse. But the overwhelming majority of the world does not agree with this framing. And that's clear from the institutions that are international and how they have voted. Uh, a UN ceasefire resolution was overwhelmingly supported. The Security Council voted for a ceasefire. It was the US that vetoed it. Um, the World Health Organization, NGOs like Doctors Without Borders, Committee to Protect Journalists, every institution, including the International Court of Justice, every international institution has made it clear what Israel is doing is wrong, what Israel is doing is illegal, and it is an injustice to Palestinians. There's no question to this. So the fact that we even have these conversations is part of that asymmetry of power again, right? Why is this conversation taking place? Why is this even a debate? It's a debate because the Western world, especially the United States, has overwhelming power. And by having that power, it can change the framing of an entire conversation that the rest of the world understands. And what's happening also is with social media, with the fact that these atrocities are being live streamed for us to see, every day, the conversation within the Western world, at least within its own populace, is also changing. Um, there's a significant shift in the way that Americans are thinking about this. And imagine the amount of propaganda that Americans get, right? The amount of, and by propaganda, I mean exactly what we were talking about, how this is framed, how politicians talk about it, how policy is enacted, how our news media talks about it. The fact that the word killed, you just had the story of Hind Rajab, a six-year-old child, a six-year-old child who was stuck in a car with her family who had already been killed by Israeli forces, calling dispatchers, hoping for someone to come rescue her, talking about being afraid of the dark, only to have been killed herself. This is a horrifying story. And what, what frustrates me is that if that story was the story of a white child, the way that it would be framed in the Western media would be 180 degrees different. But they could not bring themselves major, all the major uh, Western news outlets, the New York Times, CNN, BBC, yeah. Washington Post, none of them could even bring themselves to use the word killed in describing I've, her. I've got examples which you highlighted here, for example. Uh, so Hind Rajab, this is uh, BBC, Hind Rajab uh, found these in Gaza days after phone calls for help. Found dead. There we go. And um, um, the Washington Post, the body of Hind Rajab, the six-year-old missing for 12 days since losing touch with rescue workers, desperately trying to save her after the family car was fired on 
no one, no description there who fired upon her. Uh, CNN, five-year-old Palestinian girl found dead after being trapped in car with dead relatives. I mean, if that had been um, an, Isra an Israeli girl who had been in a, a six-year-old, been in a car with her dead relatives after her 15-year-old cousin had called pleading for help and then you heard her being killed by Hamas militants, which is what, what the equivalent was here, um, and then you heard the cries of this girl for... To the, to, the, to the emergency services, um, and then uh, an Israeli ambulance was sent and was blown apart by Hamas militants. Um, I mean, it would be regarded as an absolutely off-the-charts atrocity. And by the way, I'm saying it's not the, the, the value attached to Israeli life. I'm not saying it should be devalued. It's correct. It's just not applied to, to Palestinian life. But that's the point, isn't it? It would be we, would be, we would be told that this shows the utter barbarism and depravity of Hamas. That's how it would be framed. And it would be framed on the basis of, we have to wipe these people off the face of the earth. No, 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 no entity capable of that kind of horror has any legitimacy. And that is how it would be talked about. Absolutely. Oh, the, the language of barbarity, the, the, exactly how you're describing it. The fact that they would have to be, you know, eradicated, the fact that you would have to extinguish Hamas basically from the earth. Um, if, if you had the reverse kind of a story, um, and we don't even have to we don't even have to imagine, right? Because in fact, when uh, the October seventh attacks were carried out, there were horrifying stories of what happened to Israeli civilians. We know why we know those stories because they were told. They were told over and over and over again. They were told in gruesome detail. They were told um, by naming who carried out those atrocities. They were told by naming the details of those atrocities. And no one minced words in how we describe the perpetrators of those atrocities. But when those same things happen to Palestinian children, suddenly, suddenly the language becomes tame. Suddenly no one is killed. They're just a dead body of a child that's found. Suddenly there's no perpetrator. In, in some of the framing, you wouldn't even know that this child had died at the hands of an attack of any kind. You would think she dropped dead of her own accord. She was in a car accident maybe if you didn't know what was happening, if you didn't understand the context. And that is absolutely intentional because they don't want people to see every day, Israel killed another child, Israel killed another child. Because if that happens, what happens to the minds of people who are watching this, there's only so much that our minds can process. There's only so much trauma and atrocity that we can process. And when we see that every day, it changes the way that people think, not only about the actions of the state of Israel, but also the actions of our own governments that are supporting, arming, and making those atrocities possible. We cannot get away from the fact, and I say this as an American, someone who's sitting in the US, without US support, what is happening in Israel could not be happening right now. What is happening in Gaza could not be happening right now. It would not be possible if not for the unconditional support of the US. And even that phrase, by the way, um, has been used, it's bipartisan, Democrat, Republican, they all say unconditional support. That is a fanatic point of view. And we never talk about fanaticism in our own states. We always talk about fanaticism somewhere else, but we don't talk about the fact that the idea that anything should be unconditional is a zealous point of view. Why should something be unconditional? What does that mean? That means they can do anything they want, even commit genocide. And we still say, we're gonna give you our support. We're gonna give you our weapons. This could have ended months ago. And the reason it is going on is not only because of the actions of the state of Israel, but the backers of the state of Israel. And that is also why these news, uh, these news outlets, the discourse that we're seeing is framed the way that it is because these states don't want to become, don't want to show so obviously their own complicity in those crimes.
I mean, on that, I have to say, if a state hostile to the West committed a fraction of what we're seeing in Gaza, these same media outlets would be loudly arguing for US military intervention, let alone, I mean, what we're talking about is, I mean, you know, in terms of how they're framing it, but that, I mean, that would be the case, wouldn't it? You would be saying, look, look at these horrendous crimes. The US has to intervene. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the sort of media coverage we'd be having. Well, just, you know, we have to think back to how did the media cover um, Ukraine and Russia? And what were the policies after Russia invades Ukraine? Uh, Ru after Russia invades Ukraine in February of 2022, almost, almost overnight, I mean, within days, Russia becomes the most sanctioned country in the world, right? Now, let's say that that's uh, to expect a country like the US or the UK or France or Germany to actually sanction Israel is, is asking for, we'll say, a lot. I mean, I, I don't think it is, but let's assume that that's the case. How about a basic step? How about the US doesn't veto ceasefire resolutions? That doesn't require anything. You can, you can still provide all of your support, all of your aid, and just not veto what the international community was created to do to prevent atrocities, to prevent the scourge of war. That's why those institutions even exist. But what the, the Biden administration has done in the last several months is to gut the meaning of those institutions in a way that I think have, that has created a moment that we have to really think, do these institutions work? And if they don't, we have to change them. Because yeah. if they don't do anything, if essentially you can have one power that comes in and can undermine the entire basis for why they exist. If the International Court of Justice says, yes, Israel's actions are plausibly genocidal, which is why Israel is now on trial for genocide, but these governments will not stop arming a country that is plausibly committing genocide, then what's the point of those institutions? So it really draws this whole conflict. I mean, we can just focus on the human impact of Palestinians. That should be enough. That should be enough to draw the line and say, Listen, this, the, the killing, the mass murder of children should be enough for us to take action. But there are layers of implications to what is happening right now, not only for Palestinians, but also for the entire concept of international law. If that no longer exists, then we're inviting states like Russia to say, if this state doesn't have to abide by any set of rules, then why do we? And that happens through the double standards that we impose. If you look at uh, early in 2022, there was Western media uh, talking about Ukrainians making Molotov cocktails, right? Mm. And that was championed, that was celebrated as Ukrainian resistance against Russian occupation. Now imagine that happening in this case. It will never happen. Mm. It will never happen. Palestinians have no right to self-defense. Ask bluntly, no one in the Western world in terms of officials will say that Palestinians have the right to self-defense, despite the fact that they have been an occupied power for, they've been an occupied people for over five decades, despite the fact that they, their entire state was colonized more than eight, uh, more than seven decades ago, despite the fact that, you know, they'll use Hamas as this idea, of, but Hamas is a terrorist organization. Hamas didn't exist until 1987. What about the occupation that existed decades before that? So everything comes up to these talking points that are used to diminish that history, to ignore that any of these things exist. And the attempts in the Western world, especially in the US, have been to normalize 
regional relations with Israel, right? So the Abraham Accords are celebrated as these peace accords. How can you be? How can they be peace accords with states that were not in a conflict while ignoring the actual conflict, while ignoring the actual problem, which is millions of people who do not have control over their own lives under a military occupation for more than five decades, and we're just pretending like this is not happening and that this problem will go away as long as we ignore it. And there are arms deals painted as peace agreements. One of the other elements of, of the framing that I wanted to put by you is, is again, intent. And I, I, I keep mentioning this with people I speak to just because I think it's just so striking. When, when I interviewed Professor Raz Sigal, sorry, Associate Professor Raz Sigal, Israeli-American scholar in genocide and Holocaust studies, he one of the reasons he called it a text with genocide is he said intent is rarely so openly spoken. Um, so in South Africa's submission to the ICJ, they have nine pages. Um, and in that, they say... I mean, it's just an example. You have Galan at the beginning impo imposing a complete siege in Gaza. No electricity, no food, no water, no um, no water. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals and we act accordingly. Announcing he'd, he'd released all the restraints on the army. Uh, we Gaza won't destroy to what, uh, return to what was before. We will eliminate everything. Um, and then it goes on. Um, and then he also said he'd removed every restriction on Israeli forces. The reason I bring that up is... In If that was a state hostile to the West and there were pages and pages of the president of Israel, the prime minister of Israel, the defense minister, members of the war cabinet, members of the government, other politicians, media outlets, journalists, generals, soldiers on the ground, all speaking in overtly genocidal and murderous ways, stating their intent, it would frame the coverage. I mean, it, the coverage would actually revolve around that. It would be seen as this is the aim of the operation. Just listen to what they're saying. That is not how this is covered at all. And actually, when I said, for example, Yov Galan, he said he's removed all the restraints on Israeli forces. You had to struggle to find that on Google before. Um, it actually ended up being said in the ICJ ruling because it's such obvious evidence. It doesn't appear in any Western media outlets, that declaration, before that judgment. I just find that astonishing, actually, if you think about it, how you can have intent spoken by a government, the apparatus, but it doesn't frame the coverage of what they're talking about, as though what they're saying isn't to be taken literally at all. It's just to be ignored. Yeah, what they're saying. So don't believe what they say. Don't believe yeah. what they do. Mm -hmm. uh, essentially, don't believe any, don't believe your eyes, don't believe your ears. Just yeah. believe us when we say uh, we've talked to our Israeli counterparts and they're they're doing their best to protect civilians. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are questions, and you know, we're I'm talking about. Western Western media. And one of the things to keep in mind is a lot of times reporters don't actually, not a lot of times, they do not have control over what the headlines are, right? Yeah. So there's- I can testify, yeah. Yeah, you know, the, we're not, I, I don't wanna just sort of blame journalists because there's also within these states, there's a lot of pushback happening. If you look mm -hmm. at the US, you have um, cables, right? Going from State Department to the president saying, hey, we don't agree with what you're doing. These are these are people who work for the State Department. You have mm. uh, White House aides protesting in front of the White House saying, hey, we don't agree with what you're doing. Um, you have within uh, within these press briefings, you see journalists that are pushing back. And I want to give credit where credit is due. There's a lot of people who are saying the things that we are saying, but those in positions of power are simply not listening to any of those things. And so you've seen the frustration of reporters as well um, 
internally talking about their frustrations because there are levers of power that they do not have control over. And so when they have these headlines come out too, sometimes if you read the headline and then you read the story, the story is better than the headline. Hmm. But the problem is, is a lot of people see the headline and that's what frames the entire, the entire issue. And that is what continuously becomes the problem. The fact that what Israeli officials are saying is not being taken seriously is not, isn't, is, is mind blowing to me. How can you not listen to what they're telling you what their intent is? They are telling you their intent. Now, if it was a US adversary, they could have said something in 1982 and we would yeah. say, look, they said this in 1982, so that's probably what they mean today. But you have Israeli officials saying things in real time and it's completely, it's almost entirely ignored. And when you actually see some kind of coverage outside of independent press and social media and, and all these other people who are doing the work, um, it's because of the amount of pressure, right? The CNN, for instance, on the original post that they had for Hind Rajab, um, they updated the language because, you know, possibly because of the amount of backlash, because of how horrible the first the first iteration was. And still in the second iteration, they still couldn't bring themselves to use the word killed as if that would, you know, uh, paint Israel with too too harsh a brush to say they are killers. They are killing these people. They are killing these children. They are responsible for what is happening. Mm. So the and, and you don't see the same kind of framing when you deal with uh, a conflict like Russia and Ukraine. It's actually really interesting. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Horrible on one hand that we have these two uh, wars going on at the same at the same time, but because these large scale invasions and wars have taken place relatively close to each other, that's why it's so easy to juxtapose the way yeah. that it's being talked about, the way that it's being framed. We're not talking about conflicts that happened, you know, many years ago. We are talking about two ongoing conflicts and the fact that they are simultaneously being treated differently. So you can see, I mean, just in terms of just some examples I've got here in terms of just how it's framed in terms of what Israel's doing to the people of Gaza. Um, so here this is CNN, Netanyahu, the original was Netanyahu directs Israeli military to draw a plan to evacuate more than one million people from Rafah as offensive looms, completely framed on the terms of what Israel would argue. And as you, you corrected it, this is, it's got some marker pen and put ethnically cleansed Palestinians from Gaza. Um, and another example, New York Times, displaced Gazans wonder where to go. It's Israel vows to keep pushing south. And you, you particularly pushed that Palestinians to Gaza, but to keep bombing anywhere they go. And the point there is, 
if that we know actually from previous examples, I mean, I don't know, Kosovo, for example, when um, Slobodan Milosevic um, was, uh, you know, the, you had the Milosevic regime in Belgrade, they, they didn't say draw up plan for, for to, to evacuate Kosovo. They talked about ethnic cleansing. They did in the Balkans consistently. Um, so, I mean, you know, and actually that's quite an interesting example because, again, you could say there, I mean, the Bosnian Serb army could point to atrocities committed against Bosnian Serb civilians. Um, in fact, you had a huge number of atrocities. 7,000 Bosnian Serb civilians were killed in that war, uh, but they were still found guilty, the Bosnian Serb army of, of genocide. But you still clearly, they spoke about the purpose, you know, the, they spoke about ethnic cleansing in headlines. You would not have got those sorts of headlines. That's not, it's not even thinkable, you know, if I ha had a headline like that. Nor should it be. That's, that's yeah. the issue, right? Nor should it be thinkable. The, it, this should be covered for what it is. And it's based on, and this is why, you know, it, this isn't about me and you coming to this conclusion. This is why the International Court of Justice came to this conclusion. The, and even that, by the way, even the way the ICJ decision was framed in and of itself was problematic because the importance of that decision, right? The ICJ was not deciding whether or not Israel was committing genocide because they cannot We've got here. This is it. UN court declines to demand Israel stops its military campaign. That's the New York Times. Rather than saying UN court finds that Israel's actions are plausibly genocidal. Hmm. That's your headline. That's the most important takeaway from the ICJ decision. But what they put is this. What if, you, if you looked at the six provisions, if you looked at what the decision actually said, uh, it required Israel to basically stop doing everything that it's doing. But has... No action has changed on the ground. No action has changed on the ground because the court does not have the ability to, doesn't have a mechanism to enforce those things. All it can do, it's a court. It has to have these other countries, countries, third party countries, understand that ruling and make decisions based on that ruling. So now if you're the UK, you don't send weapons to Israel. If you're the US, you don't send weapons to Israel because you know they are pending a genocide case. You know that the court has decided that the evidence is sufficient. The evidence that South Africa presented is sufficient to make a case. Israel wanted that case dismissed from court. Israel lost that day, but that was not what the headlines were. The headlines were twisted in a way, and it was really interesting because you saw the reaction from Israeli officials. And Israeli officials, on one hand, celebrated it as a victory, and on the other hand, called the court anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, if it was a victory, then why are they anti-Semitic? Why is that the framing of this? Because because it's a it's a sort of desperation because everyone sees it and the shifts in the narratives and what's happening. I mean, you see um, attacks on people's attire, people who call, you know, wearing a sweater with a watermelon on it, anti-Semitic. You see attacks on um, just these platforms themselves, like TikTok is the problem, not the genocide that is being carried out. TikTok, the platform is the problem. Mm. Well, interestingly enough, actually, you could argue that TikTok is partly radicalizing people, partly because IDF soldiers keep posting war crimes on TikTok. Um, I, I can't think of a better, you know, in terms of material that radicalizes people, I think often the very material posted by those soldiers is probably more effective than than those posting content uh, opposing the horrors in Israel's inflicting. I'm just wondering, actually, because yeah, we brought those up, some of the videos I'm you know, there are videos of Israeli soldiers playing uh, with children's toys in places where children have been killed. Um, they're looking through the the private 
like drawers of, of like they're taking out women's lingerie. I mean, the amount, the way that they're treating the situation as if it is a joke, like 30,000 people killed is somehow funny. That should be something that we are talking about every day. Beyond everything that's happening, it's like, what is happening in a state? How far to the right? I mean, we know that this is the most right-wing government that Israel has ever had. And you hear in the US uh, and in Europe, you hear this rhetoric of the fear of the rise of right-wing fascism, right? This is like a big issue that, that Western governments have right now. And yet we are supporting the most right-wing government in Israel's history with with no issues with no qualms we're sending them uh the the weapons that they need and there's no question to what is happening in israeli society part of it is because of the impunity with which they've been able to act when there is no consequence to your behavior ever it's it just moving to become more extreme it's interesting because actually for a long while a lot of the often quite extreme statements made by russian pundits on russian television stations framed quite a lot there was a huge amount of coverage about it and it was given as examples of intent and i interviewed the israeli very courageous israeli journalist gideon levy and he said that israeli television is more extreme uh, than russian television and there's been countless examples of people openly calling for genocide i mean it's not subtle it's literally like burn the whole of gaza everyone should die including women and children i mean it's not even and that doesn't, you know, there's not a kind of what is happening to this society, you know, and obviously there are courageous, I've just named a courageous Israeli uh, um, example. I do wonder, one of the things I want to ask you, though, I have been thinking about this a lot. I wonder if this could, I'm not in the middle of it, it's difficult to know how things will pan out. But if this could be actually, actually a moment of real crisis for a lot of these media outlets. It was interesting, a polls come out today in Canada, which showed a plurality of Canadians think there's genocide happening. And that's not something they're being fed by the Canadian media, which is overwhelmingly, extremely, actually very partisan in, in favor of Israel. Uh, so obviously a lot of people are getting it from social media. They're getting it online. They're seeing these absolute unbelievable horrors. And I wonder if there's a crisis with the media because partly they've, they've been so partisan in support of Israel for so long, but also they latched on in support of what Israel was doing from the very beginning, even though you had all these examples of intent. And now this clearly, look, we're not, a lot, the journalists, I know a lot of them, they're not sociopaths. They're not, you know, they may be a lot of them, they've dehumanized Palestinians, they've allowed racist dehumanization to set in, they don't see Palestinians as quite like them. I get all of that. But a lot of people now, you, it's so extreme what's happened and what's happening. It's just so extreme that it is very difficult to not think to yourself, this is way beyond anything, which is tolerable. But it's difficult to actually frame your coverage differently because it would mean challenging the whole way you've framed this from the very start. And that itself would lead to a crisis of, um, of of your own integrity um, and your own position. I just wonder what you think about that. They basically, they're dug in a hole. So however bad things get, it's actually quite difficult for them to shift the narrative, even though there has been a slight shift just because the US is doing some pointless hand-wringing. I think that's a really interesting point because, it, but in terms of integrity, what I would say is you can always get your integrity back, right? Yeah. You, you can, there's, there is the space 
to be redeemed. So the idea that they would have to maintain this line because it's been this line all along, um, I understand because to a certain extent it undermines the their own, um, you know, their own sort of institution in a way. But I think you come out of it the other end with more validity than you had before. I mean, I in a lot of these uh, headlines that I take and I edit. I see people's comments that people will comment things like, why are you even worried about this? Like no one, no one watches, no one watches the news. No one reads CNN or the New York times anymore. And so that, that comment, here's two issues with that comment. One is it's indicative of the fact that that is somewhat true, right? There are people who are moving away from these mainstream media sources because of exactly what we've been talking about. It's so partisan. It's so biased that people are just sort of sick of seeing the amount of dehumanization that's taking place. Um, under this like lens of media. And we're supposed to be, you know, we boast so much in the West about having this free press and um, and how that media, and this is actually a really important point, how that media is linked to our democratic institutions. It's a very important pillar of a democratic mm -hmm. society to have an informed citizenry. And you only have that through this consumption, right? Everybody is not a specialist. So how do people get information? They get information through the media. And if the media is not giving them real information, you can't blame people for reaching the conclusions that they do. They reach conclusions that they do, sometimes afactual conclusions, because they are not being given correct information. But the the other um, part of that is that, yeah, a lot of people are getting away from this. A lot of people are not really paying attention to, to mainstream media anymore. And that's the great part of having social media and having independent journalists and having so many alternatives to it. But ultimately to your question, I think, redeem yourselves. And yeah. we've done that historically, right? There have been um, atrocities in human history. There have been, um, you know, horrible policies from, from slavery to the Holocaust. And yet, and, and those atrocities, those horrifying chapters in human history were supported by the very institutions that we're still right. talking about, right? The same levers of power. But there was a way of redeeming yourselves by deciding, hey, we were wrong. We were wrong about, you don't even have to say that. Just change the coverage. Just be honest. You don't even have to have this great moment of epiphany that you have it, that's self-reflected on. Just cover it truthfully, and then maybe you'll actually get people back to wanting to read your platforms. But they, these platforms, for a lot of people, have become a joke. And, and I think that, that this is putting pressure, isn't it? I mean, if you say the work you've done and it goes viral, it doesn't just go viral on Twitter. People actually pick it up and talk about TikTok, you know, on other platforms, they WhatsApp each other, they text it with, with it, is, is, is you, you do have a very clear generational divide as well because people who watch cable television tend to be much older. Um, I think I saw MSNBC, I think it's like, the average age is 58. Uh, younger people tend to get it from TikTok, et cetera, uh, and Twitter and Instagram. And I saw a very revealing comment, actually, <laughs> which was um, the Biden, it's from a source from the Biden administration, complaining about the fact that younger people aren't getting to see um, that Joe Biden is privately behind the scenes, doing everything he can to pressure Netanyahu because they're not watching um, these claims on cable news um, and, in the, and, and in various newspapers. And I thought that was quite funny and revealing because clearly, you know, he, the levers he has is military aid and diplomatic and political support and general aid to Israel. Um, he can choose to use that or he doesn't. Um, him getting, you know, pointing his finger at Benjamin Netanyahu and sounding a bit heated and hanging up, is, it makes no difference. But that's fed to older viewers, perhaps, as signs that actually he is doing something. And the fact younger people aren't seeing that, instead they're seeing lots of children being blown apart on 
Twitter on social media. Yeah, there is a so there is a shift, and I wonder if that is going to end up putting pressure on the legacy media because a lot of younger people are living in a different parallel in a sorry in a parallel universe. And you could argue it's a lot more accurate because being told that Joe Biden is actually trying to put pressure on Netanyahu, that is not something which should inform your view of what the US is doing in its relationship with Israel at all. It shouldn't. The it, It's more accurate to look at what US weapons are doing on your phone to children, isn't it? So I just wonder if that will have an impact eventually because it's going to cause a crisis of legitimacy. Well, I think we're already in a crisis of legitimacy, both yeah. for the press and for um, these governments, right? They are in a crisis of legitimacy because, because what they're saying is just insulting to a person's intelligence. Like for, for any official in the Biden administration to say, we're having these tough, com and they say this over and over and over again, we're having frank conversations with our Israeli counterparts. We're having tough conversations with our Israeli counterparts. The place that we have the most leverage is with our friends, right? And the U.S. has no problem using coercive measures to get states that are, uh, participating in actions that they don't like to change that behavior, right? We use military action, we use uh, sanctions, we use diplomatic pressure, we use every lever at our disposal to make sure that states uh, that are adversarial to us change their behavior. So it's much more difficult actually to change the behavior of a state that you have no real levers with, right? But with, with Israel, there are so many things that the Biden administration can do. Don't veto UN resolutions support the ICJ, uh, stop arms, at least conditionally, to Israel, stop military aid to Israel unless it's conditioned on Israel's actions. None of that is even coercive measures. Those are just, we're not going to give you all our stuff until you listen to something that we're saying. We haven't even gone to actual punitive measures that can be used as well. So the Biden administration is doing nothing, nothing to actually pressure Israel um, nothing has changed in terms of the death toll. I mean, you have uh, decisions right now. The, Rafah has already been bombed. 1.5 million Palestinians in Gaza are now in Rafah in what is the equivalent of the size of Heathrow Airport, right? It is, an, it is the most densely populated refugee camp in the world, basically, right now. And you still saw bombing and attacks during the Super Bowl, not coincidentally, very intentionally so because people were distracted. And you still see the U.S. take absolutely no action besides we're, you know, we're talking to them about it. What are you talking about? Every, again, every institution that we tried to use against Russia is now saying Israel's actions are a catastrophe. This is going to be a humanitarian catastrophe. But when they say it about Israel, those very same institutions, we rejected outright. And when they say it about Russia, we boasted and create a platform for it. One of the most interesting things is that uh, the... A lot of the evidence that for war crimes that Russia is committing is coming from the U.S. because the U.S. has participated in collecting evidence of war crimes in order for Russia to be held accountable. Not only is it not doing that in the case of Israel, every time a U.S. official has been asked about possible war crimes committed by Israel, even though we're looking at them, right? When we say possible war crimes at this point, yeah, it's almost it's nonsensical. We are seeing war crimes occur in real time. But when they are asked, the response is, well, that's a process. It's a legal process. We're not lawyers. We can't talk about it. You had no problem talking about it when it was Russia. So how the media plays a role in this is vital. And we know that. We know that, for instance, if you look at the lead up to the invasion of Iraq in 2003, right? Let's say right now the details are still murky about what's going on. They're not, but let's just pretend for a minute they are. 
the details of 2003 are not murky. We now know as a fact that the public was lied to, that there were no weapons of mass destruction, and that Iraq was invaded illegally by the United States under a false pretense. This is These are all facts. We know these. But the media played a significant role in that lead up because it didn't question anything. Yeah. Right. It just sort of parroted whatever talking points the government, the state officials, the Bush administration was putting out. And if they continue to do so in this moment, then I think it's absolutely a crisis of legitimacy. There's no validity to a press that just parrots whatever the state is saying. That's not a free press. I mean, I, I was going to end by, basically in terms of what the legacy of this could actually be, because I think the tragedy of those who have opposed military interventions which are direct you know western military interventions in the 21st century is always being right in the worst possible way being demonized at the time getting no obviously why well, you can't get any satisfaction in vindication because the horror is so great um and those perpetrating it there's no accountability and they just walk from one crime scene to the next so you you know you get that afghanistan ends in catastrophe iraq catastrophe uh Libya catastrophe um and you get God I mean every single one has been you know vindicated those who were part, everything that was said actually actually ended up worse and I just think this perhaps because they got away with all that this is too great a crime but crucially the media is under far more pressure because of things like social media and maybe this is going to last this is going to be such a lasting impact that the reputation of the media will not recover. And that has knock an impact, knock an impact to the likes of Israel, because actually that makes it much harder for them to keep Western public opinion on their side. And they need Western public opinion because if they shift, they're not going to get the weapons. Well, I agree with you. And I would take it a step further. I would say it's not just the media as an, this isn't just a, an inflection point for the media. It's an inflection no. point for these governments, it's a reflect. It's an inflection point for international institutions, right? Basically, it's like the entire system that was created by the Western world is right now in a very tenuous position because of the sheer hypocrisy, the obviousness of that hypocrisy, and the level of atrocity that we are being told to ignore. People cannot ignore it. That's that's the problem. Is it's it's too overwhelming to ignore. They cannot see parents picking up the body parts of their children in plastic bags. They cannot see children being amputated without having limbs amputated without anesthetic. They cannot see, you know, fathers rummaging through, you know, uh, rubble to try and find their children and see if they're still alive. These images have haunted people now for months. And that is, that is, I think, what is somehow either lost on these institutions, or they feel themselves to be so immune to anything, to any accountability, that that doesn't matter. Maybe it's not lost on them. Maybe they're fully aware of it, but assume that things can continue uh, in the way that they have because they still mm -hmm. wield the power that they do. I think that's a very eloquent way to end it. And also it gives us some possible, I mean, I mean, I say looking at hope amongst, amongst such a level of horror, I think it's quite difficult to talk about about hope for the reasons you've just spoken about. But I do think you're you're absolutely right. This the scale, the sheer scale of this, and the fact that people do have access now to other forms of information is causing a huge crisis of legitimacy. And you're right, for Western institutions, not just the media, Western institutions, and that has huge implications for 
for Western power. Um, as I, you've been absolutely incredible. It's been such an honor to have your your huge wisdom. And for people, you know, if you're not following Asal Rad on social media, do at a double S A L R A D, and you will see constantly these headlines and these statements being demolished. Um, and I, I'm sure it's driving uh, a lot of these people in newsrooms mad. Good, let's hope so. But let's hope it has an impact because it is about building pressure. And um, because the impact of your work, Asal, is that more and more people do see before them the actual reality versus what they're being sold um and that is going to have an impact it's going to build pressure so it's a hugely important job so uh everyone watching do do share do press like um subscribe uh but as has been huge honor thank you so much thank you so much for having me and i and i hope it is having the impact that you're saying it definitely is <laughs> even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.